Counselor Toolbox podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest e-counseling platform, providing accessible and affordable counseling services via messaging, live chat, phone, or video. To apply to be a counselor at BetterHelp with no overhead fees or cost, go to betterhelp.com toolbox. You can also find a counselor by going to betterhelp.com toolbox and clicking on Get Started in the upper right corner. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation. We are continuing the Journey to Recovery series, and today we're going to be talking about enhancing motivation. We're going to basically define motivation and all the different types of motivation and ways that we can enhance them in our clients and ways that we can teach clients how to enhance motivation in themselves. And that's one of the things that I really want um, to have as a takeaway from this. When you teach this curriculum, if you were, you know, teaching from the book, for example, um, the goal of this webinar is to help you figure out how to use the text in order to um, enhance group and individual activities. So motivation is a combination of desire, willingness, and ability. There's a lot of things I want to do, but I'm not willing to put forth the effort to do some of them. So, you know, you have to have desire and willingness, and you have to have the ability. There are some things that I really want to do, and I'm willing to do what it takes, and I just don't have the ability to do it. Um, you know, medical school is one of those things. Calculus, whew, way, way over my head. Um, so I had the desire, I had the willingness to work at it, to, you know, do everything I needed to do. But when it came to calculus, I just couldn't pass that daggum class. So we have to have desire, willingness, and ability. We want to make sure that people have their an ability to keep their eye on the destination and choose to do things that move them closer to their endpoint instead of detouring them. So I always start out when I'm working with clients, when I'm working with groups, we start out a group um, at the beginning of the series talking about what does a rich and meaningful life look like to you? What are the things and people and experiences that are important? I mean, truly kind of must-haves in your world for a rich and meaningful life. You know, there are things that we want, but they're not necessarily crucial to having a rich and meaningful life. So we want to really pare it down to what is the core that you're working towards. That way, whenever people are faced with a decision, they can go back to that and look at it and go, is this getting me closer to what's really important in my life? Or is it just kind of a wild goose chase? Think about whether you've um, ever accomplished something you were not motivated to do. You know, I do this on a regular basis, like laundry, um, paying bills, and there were some times working on my dissertation that I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't stand to do one more page. So there are periods, even during long tasks, there are periods where motivation may wax and wane. So thinking about what that was. How did you get yourself motivated? One of the things that 
I find exceptionally helpful when I do these groups is to encourage people to share their own self-motivational and other motivational techniques uh, because it's not the same for everybody just like we all speak different love languages if you will uh, we also speak different motivational languages what motivates me may be different from you so while you guys are thinking about ways that you got yourself motivated please feel free to share in the chat room um, you know one of the things that my my uh, committee chair taught me was to do 15 and I talk about this a lot in different settings, but doing 15, if I could get on the computer and work on my dissertation for 15 minutes, even if I really just didn't want to do it, generally, once I got started, it wasn't so bad. And I, I was the same way with homework. I was horrible when I got home about actually starting to do homework. Um, I didn't mind going to class. I just hated cracking the books later. But doing 15 was always good for me and I'll do the same thing when I'm working out if I have a particular day I'm just not in the mood to run you know I will start out and I may even go easy the first 15 minutes and you know let me just get out there get changed you know walk the first 15 minutes and see how I'm doing um, if I don't really don't feel like running but generally after 15 minutes most people are feeling okay and they're not hating it as much anymore so that's one way I get myself motivated. Another way is to pair it with things that I really like. Um, you know, when I do laundry, I usually fold laundry while I'm watching TV. Um, that makes me a little bit happier. Um, paying bills, there's not much you can do with it. But I can also provide rewards to myself when I get it done. So, you know, I've got to do this and get this project knocked out but once I do then I can do something that I really enjoy so those are um, excellent ways to try to get started and get motivated um, and you know Jerry shares that she sets the alarm for 15 minute intervals um, and her best friend works like crazy during commercial breaks so you know that's one way to do it if you know that you've got to clean the kitchen and you know as soon as the commercials come on you're like okay you know I've got well commercial breaks are really long now so I've got four or five minutes that I can do something you can probably get a lot done in that commercial break period so that's a great suggestion some people really like working out during commercials because again it's a very time limited thing and they're like I can do anything for four minutes and so that helps them get a little bit more motivated to do something okay so principles of motivation motivation is a key to change well duh if we're not motivated we ain't gonna do it um, motivation and getting a little ahead of myself is partly driven by the chemicals norepinephrine and dopamine so if you don't have enough of those you may not feel motivated hence the reason people when they're depressed especially if they don't have enough norepinephrine um, may have difficulty kind of getting started and feel sluggish which is why some of our antidepressants are actually selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors who knew okay so it's a key to change motivation and people are multi-dimensional and we're going to spend a lot of time on this today because too often we think of motivation as a cognitive thing but it's not or it's not just a cognitive thing there are so many more aspects motivation is dynamic and fluctuating so like working on my dissertation you know there were some days I was just gung-ho you know I'd read a 
a bunch of articles and stuff and I was like really ready to work on this particular chapter or something or when I got into statistics I loved running stuff through SPSS and getting the pretty graphs so doing the analysis part of my dissertation was really exciting so I enjoyed those parts but then there were other parts nah, not so much so you know dynamic and fluctuating when you get to parts that you don't like or when there are other competing things I mean think about even something that you've enjoyed doing like going to the going to the um, park to go hiking that's one of my things um, sometimes I've just got other competing responsibilities and I'm not motivated to do it like this morning I almost didn't go to the gym because I'm like well I really have all this other stuff to do even though I had already made a playlist and everything so we want to recognize that with our clients when they are trying to change when the going gets tough the tough think twice um, and, and that's normal that's normal to have some ambivalence whether it's dieting or quitting smoking or you know anything that we're doing motivation is influenced by social interactions and it can be modified even if you wake up and you're just like no no today is just not gonna happen and you want to pull the covers up over your head which a lot of our clients have those days and a lot of us probably have those days occasionally but we can lay there and you know think about the reasons that we want to get out of bed and improve our motivation even if it means putting carrots at the end of the stick if you will putting rewards at the end like okay if I go to work today you know maybe I'll allow myself to st stop and get coffee on the way in and then maybe I'll treat myself to dinner tonight because I'm just not feeling it so there are things that we can do um, another thing that you compare and you know Carolyn was sharing that she also watches TV another thing that you compare with some activities not ones that require a lot of concentration is music you know sometimes I will just put on my headphones really loud and I will rock out while I'm uh, cleaning the house so you know whatever it is that makes it more pleasurable okay motivation involves recognizing that something needs to be done and one of my professors in college had a phrase and it's stuck with me forever change causes crisis and crisis causes change so let's think about that for a second when we change we are upsetting the homeostasis we're upsetting the apple cart if you will so it takes effort now it's not a you know emotional crisis necessarily but sometimes for example if you're going on a diet and you're like okay I need to go on a diet I need to start eating healthier let's just say we're gonna make a permanent lifestyle change that's a change and when you start doing that that may mean that you can't have unlimited pizza every night of the week or something and that may cause a little mini crisis because you're like I want pizza you know gosh darn it so it's a mini crisis but when you change you're going to be uncomfortable for a period of time that's where motivation comes in that's where we have to help people see all the reasons for or they have to be able to figure out all of the reasons it's worth going through this in order to achieve their goal so change causes crisis but crisis causes change generally we're not motivated to do something unless there's a reason to do it we don't just wake up one morning and go hey everything's going great I'm happy with everything I think I will just throw a wrench in the works you know if we're going to start doing something there is some sort of a crisis people when they decide to stop smoking for example 
have recognized that it's having a negative effect on their health or their finances or their relationships or, or something. Something has changed that's happened to tell them, you know, it's un too uncomfortable to keep doing this. So we need to do something different. Okay. We need to help clients identify the benefits to making this change. And we want to teach them. We don't want to do it for them. We want to teach them how to identify the benefits for themselves. And we're going to talk about MEEPS in a little while, and that was the best I could come up with for an acronym. But we want to have them look at the mental benefits. You know, how does it make logical sense to make this change? The emotional benefits. How is it going to make you happier? The environmental benefits, if it will have any effect on the environment. The physical benefits, how will it affect your energy and your health and all that stuff? Um, the, and the social benefits, how will, how will making this change impact your relationships for the better? Obviously, we're trying to identify benefits here. Then we want to go and have them address the drawbacks to doing it. And you'll go through that, those meeps again. Mentally, what are some of the reasons this change doesn't make sense? And there may not be a lot. But we want to just hit each area to make sure that we're identifying all the drawbacks. Um, emotionally, what are the drawbacks to doing it? Well, it's stressful. We just said change causes crisis. So, yeah, it's going to be stressful. And depending on the level of the change and, you know, how big of a change it is and stuff, people need to consider how it's going to affect the rest of their life. Remember that the um, analogy of throwing a, a rock into the into the water and it causes the ripples and it disrupts the sediment and you know there are a lot of effects of every choice we make that are observable on the surface but also a lot that are under the surface that you know we may miss so we really want to think about what are the drawbacks to doing it um, mentally emotionally environmentally physically and socially um, then we want to create a plan you know, when people are motivated, it helps to have some level of a plan and not just to be kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Because when you have a plan, what do you have? You have a destination. And when you've got a destination, then you can always come back and go, okay, I know what I'm working towards. And then we need to implement the plan. And implementation isn't usually 100% correct the first time. Most of the time, we come up with a plan and it sounds great, and somewhere along the way, we got to drop back and punt because something unexpected happens or we didn't think it through all the way, but that's okay. And I want clients to recognize when they make these change plans that they're, you know, they're not set in stone. There are options. It's like taking a um, trip from, you know, here to across the country or whatever, Back in the olden days, before Google Maps, um, we used to get something called triptychs from AAA, and some of you may remember these. Um, and they would identify where there's construction and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, since they were printed things, they weren't as up-to-date as, you know, what Google Maps is now. But even Google Maps can't anticipate, you know, five-car pileups that shut down the interstate. So sometimes you have a great plan for how to get from point A to point B, but along the way, you hit a traffic jam, and you're going to have to adjust, and that's okay. You know, so nothing is 100% set in stone. So think about a goal that you've achieved, um, you know, and you can share or you don't have to share. That's cool. Um, 
but what did you want to change? And one goal, for example, is, you know, getting in shape, you know, for me, you know, y'all know I love the gym and I love to work out and I wanted to get back in better shape after I had my daughter. Okay. So that's what I wanted to change. Why did I want to change it? What was the crisis? Well, I had gotten to the point after I had her that, you know, even doing things that used to be simple for me, I was getting a little bit winded and I didn't fit into all my other clothes and stuff. And I'm kind of frugal, so I didn't want to have to go buy a whole new wardrobe. So those were a couple things that went into my crisis. What was uncomfortable about the change? Well, exercising for one, <laughs> but also having to find time every day to do it. Um, and the fact that I, I would have to start paying more attention to what I was eating and, and those sorts of things. Okay, recognizing that, I can deal with those things. And why was it worth the effort? Because I feel better. I have more energy, you know. And, you know, once she got to be about two, I needed a bunch of energy because that child just didn't sit still. It's important to have clients think about goals that they've set before that they've been successful at accomplishing and even ones that they haven't been successful at accomplishing but i want to start with successful ones because i want them to see the crisis that was there and i want them to see maybe some of the reasons why they might not have wanted to change but they overcame those obstacles or whatever you want to call it so types of motivation mental motivators what types of things um mentally does it make logical sense and in what ways can it help with your concentration, your memory, all that kind of thing. And mental motivators also include believing you can do it, you know, having that ability. So we need to have self-efficacy. We need to have reasons, you know, maybe mental benefits to this in addition to the logical reasons. Emotional motivators, you know, how is it going to help you feel happier, you know, I have depression, anxiety, panic, PTSD. Well, a lot of people want to get rid of those. So what's the ultimate goal? The motivator is I want to be happier. Environmental motivators. And you're like, how's it going to change how I interior decorate? Well, that's not really it. When we talk about environmental motivators, think about those environments that you go into where there may be a lot of tension in the room. Maybe because somebody is continuing to drink. Or continuing to smoke there is tension between them and their spouse and there's always this undercurrent of palpable tension well you know that can be trying and it can make it less pleasant to go home and you know another way to look at environmental motivators is is it going to free up some money or free up make it possible to improve your environment in some way maybe it means you can move somewhere or or whatever but we do want to look at how will this change help you get out of an unhealthy or toxic environment, like, like uh, Pat said. And environments, you know, and it's a good point. Remember that environments are not just at home. Environments are everywhere. So environments can be, you know, in your car. If you're driving a car that has 150,000 miles on it and breaks down every other week, that's going to be stressful. Um, so if this change you're making is somehow going to help you get a new car, you know, that could be a benefit. You know, if you're 
stop smoking, you may start saving more money. Not that you're going to save enough money to pay off a car, but you can see some possible changes. Physical motivators. You want to feel healthy. You want to be less painful. It's not realistic to expect to be pain-free all the time, so just hang that up. But you don't want to be uncomfortable the majority of the time. And some of these changes can also reduce your anxiety about fear of contracting a disease like um, lung cancer or a sexually transmitted disease or, or whatever. Social motivators. In what ways does this change that you're getting ready to make coincide with what your friends and family want? If they want you to be healthier, if they want you to live a long life, which hopefully they do, you know, that coincides with what they want. How does it coincide with what you need to do to be accepted? And I know some people are like, oh, but let's just be real. Regardless of where you are, you've got a peer group that has certain expectations. That unconditional positive regard doesn't happen as often as you would like. <clears throat> so in order to be accepted in your peer group, um, you know, are there things that you feel you need to do? And that's a... Um, that's something to consider. And, and Carolyn points out, peer groups can be great if, you're, if we're not looking at it as a way to be accepted, but social accountability, which is why, for example, Weight Watchers works so well. And a lot of support group meetings really help people stay accountable to moving forward. <clears throat> um, and other social motivators include wanting to set a good example for your kids or for other people's kids, for that matter. And then occupational motivators, you know, that's not in the MEEPS acronym, but I threw it in here anyway. Sometimes people are motivated by fear of losing a job, their desire for a promotion, or just frustration at their own work performance because of their depression, because of their relationship issues, because of their um, health conditions, whatever it is that they're getting ready to change. So people often will not have motivators in every single one of these areas. But by breaking it down more granular than just saying, well, why are you motivated? It really helps them think about the breadth of reasons they're motivated and tie it to, guess what, that destination of a rich and meaningful life. So dimensions of your motivation, your meeps again. How is your issue impacting? And this is another way you can help people get out of it. Instead of asking them, how will it improve these things? You can start from the negative and then work to the positive. And you can say, how is your ability to think and concentrate being affected by what's going on right now? You know, maybe this is somebody who's really depressed and they're sleeping all the time and they really want to get on a more regular sleep schedule. We're not talking about depression, which has, you know, 15 possible symptoms. We're talking about one symptom of depression. So how is this sleeping all the time impacting your ability to think and concentrate? Well, a lot of times if your circadian rhythm's out of whack and you're not getting good sleep, it's going to be harder to think and concentrate. I remember when my kids were little, I had mommy brain, and that's what I blamed it on. And my mom's going through chemo right now, and she calls it chemo brain um, because she's just, she's not able to sleep as much. Um, and she's on a whole lot of drugs, but that's beside the point. Um, but in order to start moving towards your goal of being more awake and alert and able to think and concentrate and be sharp like you used to be, 
what needs to happen how is your current issue and we'll stay with sleeping too much right now how is your current issue impacting your mood I know even if I'm sleeping a lot if it's not quality sleep I'm cranky yeah. sleep is a big vulnerability for me um, how is this issue of impacting your environment and what is it telling you so again if I'm sleeping all the time I generally and my circadian rhythms are out of whack I may not um, have energy to get up and clean and to dust and to do all those things and we may start developing flat surface itis and that's how it Im impacts your environment um, you can also look at your environment how it impacts you know just the tension among people physical health including sleep and nutrition how is sleeping all the time negatively impacting your sleep well you're throwing your circadian rhythms out of whack out of whack so you may be getting a lot of sleep but it's poor quality sleep so you're never feeling rested how is it impacting your relationships again not getting enough sleep you're kind of fatigued kind of foggy-headed your norepinephrine's going to go down so your motivation's going to go really low so you may not be excited to engage with other people and other people may start getting frustrated with you because you're not engaging with them your kids may get frustrated with you because you're not able to make you're just not able to muster the energy to make their you know soccer games or whatever and how is it impacting your work including your work product your desire to go to work and that ever elusive use of sick days so if your clients have difficulty starting with the where do I want to go this can help them identify where am I at right now and then you can start making steps for where they're going so part of getting motivated is to understand the benefits and the drawbacks of the old behavior and the new behaviors and we've done this before in multiple different iterations this is a decisional balance exercise this one is really simplified um, but we'll go through it real quick so for example if I want to start eating better what are the benefits and uh, Jerry shared a quote before we get into this that um, I missed when she posted it Mark Twain once said if it's your job to eat a frog first thing in the morning it's best to do it in the morning nothing that happens after that will be as bad I'm, I'm gonna remember that one every time I have to get up in the morning and I don't want to I'll think about eating a frog um, so do the stuff that you don't want to do you know kind of get it out of the way that can be another way of looking at it um, so that's really awesome okay so back to this decisional balance exercise and you can do this in group with clients you can put it up on the whiteboard or my you know ever favorite break people up into small groups have breakout groups because you know again if you're getting them up and you're moving them and they're thinking uh, they're probably going to be more engaged if they're just sitting in a circle for an hour you're gonna have people drifting off but if they are physically moving as well as mentally doing activities throughout the group they're going to stay much more engaged so you can have around the room you know three or four different things that that uh, someone wants to do or you can have two stations one is what are the benefits to eating better and a lot of people can you know lift list off the benefits that they hear all the time what are the drawbacks to eating better and you know 
just brainstorm those. <clears throat> and then talk about solutions to drawbacks. So, for example, if you want to start eating better, have you ever realized, recognized, looked at the fact that a lot of the healthy food at the grocery store is way more expensive than the junk food? So it's more expensive. A lot of times you have to prepare it yourself. Um, and a lot of the things that we really like to eat may not be on that healthy menu. So you may have to cut back, not cut out, but cut back on some of those. You know, so those are three drawbacks. So what are the solutions to those drawbacks? Yes, they're a little more expensive. So look for items on sale. You know, I know I keep track of where the produce goes on sale because my kids go through produce like you wouldn't believe. Um, and that can help some. You can also, if you live in a community where there are farmers, you can go to farmer's markets. You know, there are options there. You have to cook it yourself. Well, that's true, but you can also um, cook ahead of time. You know, just because it's healthy, nutritious food doesn't mean it has to be cooked that very day. So there are a lot of cook-ahead meals and stuff that you can do. So encourage them, once they identify the drawbacks, have the whole group brainstorm or solutions to those drawbacks so you can find workarounds. Just like the traffic jam on your trip, you have to get off the interstate and find those back roads, but you make it around. If I decide not to change my eating habits, what's the benefit? Well, you know, it's a lot less stressful. Um, what are some solutions or al are alternative ways to meet the same needs? So if I'm thinking it's stressful to change my eating habits, what is a way to make it less stressful? Um, one could be taking a community education class on cooking. Another could be get together with four friends for that social motivation and alternate who cooks dinner each night and just have dinner at each other's houses or something. So encourage people to be um, open-minded. There's no stupid solution. They're all creative solutions. And encourage them to get outside the box. And sometimes you may need to throw some really radical stuff in there. And it's not going to work for everybody. They have a lot of those services now that you can order um, fresh fruit, fresh food to be delivered to your door and with meal plans and everything. Well, that sounds lovely. That sounds awesome. But it's also not cheap at all. So, you know, that's not going to work for everybody. So encouraging them to look at what works for them. In our house, you know, yes, I buy frozen vegetables. It's, it just is the way it is because, you know, it's hard to keep all the fresh vegetables in all the time. But that's a workaround. There, it's still better than, you know, canned and, and stuff like that sometimes. So stages of change. We've got clients that are ready to make changes. They've identified all the reasons they want to make a change. They've eliminated or mi mitigated all of their concerns about making a change. So they're gung-ho now. And they're like, okay, I can do this. All right. Well, that's great. Um, they, in that place, they're in what we call the action stage of change. Now, some of your clients, when you're working with them in group may not be quite there in terms of change. So what we're looking at in terms of motivation is very different. So when somebody is in preparation, which is just what it sounds like, they're preparing to make a change, they know there's a problem, they want to figure out how to solve it, and they're ready to get started taking action. So the motivation here is to move them from the preparing stage where they've got some apprehensions still to doing something.
with pre-contemplation, these people don't realize that there's a problem yet. So if you're working with a client who, you know, based on your discussions, you know they're drinking a little too much or, you know, drinking heavily or there's something else going on that they need to make a change, but they're not ready to do it yet. They don't see it as a big problem. Okay. So they're considered pre-contemplation. They're not even contemplating the issue that there's a problem. There are three types. <clears throat> Reluctant pre-contemplators don't have sufficient knowledge or awareness about the problem. So, for example, um, my old boss had diabetes. And, you know, he didn't have sufficient knowledge or awareness at first about the problem because he was obese and obviously um, didn't have some of the best eating habits in the world as well as stress management, but that's a whole different story. So he didn't really realize how stress was impacting his blood sugar levels as well as his eating. And it was important for him to get that information for him to even start saying, oh, you know, maybe this working 18, 20 hours a day, six and seven days a week isn't what I need to do. So we need to help them recognize that our clients that don't have enough information get the information they need to make an informed decision. You know, if you're asking them to do something, help them understand why it's important to help them achieve what they see as important in a rich and meaningful life. Um, I just need to record that on a soundtrack. Anyway, so we want to ask the clients, how is your addiction or mental health issue or behavior impacting you and your family? So they can start recognizing that change may be necessary. Now, with my old boss, he knew about eating, and he learned about what he needed to do to eat healthfully in order to better manage his diabetes. But it took him a while to get the information that he needed to convince him that stress and not getting enough sleep was also con contributing to the difficulty maintaining his blood sugar levels. Rebellious pre-contemplators are afraid of losing control over their lives. Um, rebellious pre-contemplators feel like they're being forced or lectured to. And that's the last thing we want in a motivational setup. We just want to talk to people and go, okay, how can we form a mutually agreeable goal? You know, I'm not going to, you're the captain of your own ship. I'm not going to force you to do anything. If you want to, you know, we'll, we'll take my boss's example if you want to get your diabetes under control i am here to educate you but i'm not going to tell you necessarily that you have to stop doing this that or the other you know you have the ability to make those choices um so asking clients what things are making you feel forced into this change or what things are you afraid of losing control over empower in pre-contemplation, surprisingly, because they're saying, I don't have a problem, you wouldn't think that empowerment would be a key feature, but it so is because we want clients to feel, get engaged and really go, you know what, this is a change I need to make and a change I want to make. So they have the desire, willingness, and ability. Um, once we figure out the things that are making them feel forced into recovery, we want to look at how we can reframe those things so they feel less angry or annoyed. Um, when I worked with involuntary clients from probation and parole, they were pre-contemplators, no doubt. And they were annoyed that they had to be in group with me for 16 weeks. 
Yeah, I don't blame them. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be told that it was mandatory that I do this. Uh, but it was how it was. And if they wanted to get off probation, then they had to come to my groups, which were substance abuse groups. So instead of approaching them with this attitude of abstinence is the only way, you got to quit using, yada, yada, I approached them from the perspective of you want to get off probation. The only way to do this, do that, is to stay clean for the full 16 weeks and to attend every single group. That's, those are the rules. The judge set those. I have no control over those. So since you're stuck with me for 16 weeks, how can I make this worth your effort and time? You know, what is it that you want to learn? What could we do? And a lot of times we did basic coping and life skills, parenting. You know, a lot of stuff came up about current presenting issues when we would go around the room and I'd do check-ins and everything. So there was stuff to cover, but the goal was here, since they didn't think substances were a problem for them, was not to keep beating that poor dead horse. It was to say, okay, you're not ready to see that problem yet. What problems do you have? And then, you know, if they had difficulty staying clean and sober and attending for the 16 weeks, then that was kind of the elephant in the room we needed to talk about. Resigned pre-contemplators feel hopeless about change and overwhelmed by all of the energy required. So it's important for us to help them identify times they've tried to change. So you may have somebody who is a smoker who comes in and goes, you know what? Just screw it. I, I don't need to stop smoking that bad. It's too hard. I gain too much weight. It's just, it's not worth it. Well, they're pre-contemplators. They're, they're saying it's not a problem for me or not a, enough of a problem for me right now to change. Okay. So if they're in your office and, you know, theoretically you want them to figure out how to change, we want to say, okay, when have you tried to change and been successful, even if only for a day or half a day you know when have you tried to stop smoking and and were successful and it wasn't horrid tell me about that um, and we also want to educate at this point about the change process because if they've tried to change and failed before then we want to talk about why that might have been what did they miss what did they not have the knowledge about or how did their treatment plan fail them because sometimes you know i will take responsibility um if we miss this gaping thing that was a trigger for them. So we want to talk about, you know, what causes behaviors, why people choose behaviors, and the fact that humans choose the behavior that is most rewarding. So if they're faced with this recovery behavior or this old behavior, and the old behavior, for whatever reason at this point in time, is more rewarding, they're going to choose that. So I need to understand why. Why was this more rewarding than this? And it could be they just don't have strong enough skills and tools yet. It could be something else was happening that, you know, the recovery skills and tools they had just couldn't touch. And they, if we're talking about addiction, they needed to numb or escape from for a while. I don't know, but help me understand. So I want to talk to them from that perspective and say, let's join together and figure out how to help you move toward a rich and meaningful life. Because if they're pre-contemplation and they're in your office, they're being forced by somebody, whether it's their spouse that says, you do this, or I'm going to divorce you, or somebody in the system. They're not there by choice. And yes, pre-contemplation is really hard to jolt people out of sometimes, if you will. 
So when we're talking about motivation for pre-contemplation, we're not talking about moving them from pre-contemplation to treatment. No. And that was the mistake I made for the first two years that I was practicing. And finally, I talked to my supervisor and I'm like, you know, people come in and then they're back in detox three months after they graduate. I don't get it. And he said, you can't move them from pre-contemplation to action in 30 days. Nobody can. I mean, that, that's just unreasonable. You want to, if they're in pre-contemplation, you want to increase their motivation to contemplate the fact that there might be a problem. You want, it's just a baby step. So if you can move them from saying there ain't a problem to, okay, well, maybe I'm willing to consider the fact that there might be a problem. Well, score. You've done your job. So in contemplation, we need to validate clients and help them realize that ambivalence is normal. You know, you've been doing something that had a reward, you know, some type of reward. It was solving, serving a purpose of some sort. So thinking about giving that up or changing that is kind of intimidating. And if it was something you liked on top of that, then, you know, there's a little bit of grief that goes along with that. So I get it. There's ambivalence. You know, people who smoke, a lot of people who smoke like smoking. And so there's some ambivalence about change, but they recognize the health benefits and financial benefits and everything else of change. So we want to help them tip the decisional balance scales toward change by eliciting and weighing the pros and cons of substance use and change, which was what we talked about um, back here with looking at the benefits and drawbacks and mitigating anything that might stand in their way of being fully motivated to change. Um, so some activities that you can do. Um, I call them God collages. And in this, God is capitalized because it's good, orderly direction. Not everybody believes in a higher power. And that's okay. But some people do. So that's fine. Good, orderly direction is that list of twists and turns you go through, you know, your, your directions to get you from point A to point B. On the, back when we had AAA and the triptychs, that's what you would flip through, the different pages to tell you where to turn and what to do. So a God collage helps them envision where they're going, their destination, as well as the things that they're going to do along the way, like make friends and start a cooking class or whatever it is they want to do. So they can get excited about this trip. You know, when, when I go on a long trip, I'm like, oh, 17 hours in the car. You've got to be kidding. But if every couple of hours there's a scenic overlook or a museum to stop at or something, then I'm excited. I'm like, okay, you know, I can make it two hours to this little reward here. So God collages can be really fun for people to do to encourage them to think about not only the destination, but the, the process. You can do drawbacks to staying the same. You can do a collage for that. I don't like those because I want people to really focus on the benefits of change and not so much on the negative, but whatever. Another activity that I've had a lot of fun with doing with clients is I have them pretend they built this awesome community called Recovery Place. You know, they bought 500 acres somewhere and they had it all subdivided and this is going to be this private gated community called Recovery Place. It has everything people need to be happy and healthy in its walls. Doctors, grocery stores, housing, it's a walkable community. Um, you're selling houses in Recovery Place and have to convince people to buy. So this is when you put on your marketing cap. 
you have to convince people why it's worth the money right now because it costs a lot to put that together which is akin to why is this change worth all the effort you're putting into it right now and what kind of returns can people expect to see on their investment over time and so we talk about that and then we go back and obviously draw the parallels about why is this behavior change you're getting ready to do worth the effort time and costs to you now and what kind of returns what kind of benefits do you expect to see from your investment of time and effort and money possibly over time you know how is it going to help you get closer to your goals so that can be a lot of fun you can have them um, stay with this metaphor for the entire class and draw up flyers and you know work together on different brainstorming uh, brainstorming ideas get their creative juices flowing overcoming obstacles you can have again around the room flip chart papers three things that could take my focus off my recovery are and it could be you know my kid gets sick I lose my job or you know I break up with my spouse or something okay I can deal with these things if they happen by and I want to plan I want people to think about obstacles that they either anticipate like the holidays are coming up so if you're trying to eat healthier and you're getting ready to go into Halloween Thanksgiving and Christmas there's a lot of unhealthy food that can be available but there's also healthy food that can be available so three things that could take your focus off recovery you know or change in this particular time are X Y and Z um, in the past when I've tried to stop using or change you know whatever change we're talking about these three things have derailed my recovery so I want people to think about what's caused their relapses if you will in the past and how they can prevent them now I have one client that I worked with um, that relapsed several times but every single time he relapsed it was because he got into a relationship early in recovery like you know pretty much the day he walked out of residential treatment and then it ended so you know we kind of looked at it and I was like you know this is in law enforcement what they call a clue um, so relationships especially relationships in early recovery derailed his change process so we figured out ways that he could get his needs for affiliation met without necessarily you know getting into a, a dangerous place the thing I'm most afraid of about recovery is or about this change is and I can deal with it by a lot of people when they get ready to stop smoking one of the things they're most afraid of is weight gain okay you're afraid of weight gain how can we deal with that you know and talk about different pharmacological interventions to stop some of the cravings so they're not hand-to-mouth all the time talk about doing something different with their hands you know I find that if I'm crocheting or doing something with my hands I'm less likely to eat so the part of recovery I dread the most is and it may be with withdrawal it may be the cravings you know if you're talking about change you know eating more healthfully you know maybe it means the part of recovery of this that change a person dreads the most is going without pizza or not being able to have pizza every night get the idea I like pizza yeah um, I can deal with it by so there are options you there are healthy pizzas you can get the French bread pizzas and stuff 
you can allow yourself to have it once a week or something so we want to help people visualize any obstacles that may come up just like you visualize if you're driving along and there's a traffic jam on the interstate you've got to figure out okay how do i get around this yeah we want to anticipate if there is a traffic jam what steps are you going to take in order to figure out your way around preparation in this phase the person is obviously preparing to make a change they realize it's a problem but they're they're still afraid and they're preparing they're getting all their proverbial ducks in a row so have them clarify their goals create a menu of options for change or treatment which means asking them where can you find information about this you know I can spoon feed it to you but when you make changes in the future how are you going to find out what your options are for change if you want to start eating more healthfully <clears throat> or if you want to stop smoking or if you want to um, maybe you you're renting right now and you want to buy a house okay those are all changes how do you figure out what your options are for making those things happen connect with others who are making a similar change you know if it's recovery from substances if it's depression recovery if it's weight loss whatever get that social support identify and deal with barriers to change get a commitment from people close to you not to expose you to triggers so whatever it is you know if you're trying to buy a new house yeah then you're probably going to need to save money for a down payment so if you've got some a friend coming over all the time going oh let's go on vacation this weekend let's go out to Vegas let's do this that's a trigger for spending money potentially um, but consider any triggers that might derail you review what's worked in the past for you and if things haven't worked in the past for you or maybe you've never tried change before encourage them to think about what's worked for people they know who've done something similar plan for handling finances childcare work transportation or other potential commitments why why do we need to plan for all this assuming they're not going into residential one of the things I tell a lot of my clients most of them is that therapy change whatever change you're making whether it's you know getting in shape or um, dealing with depression or stopping addiction it's a full-time job it is going to be exceedingly draining it's going to take a lot of energy and even if you're only doing it an hour a day that is an intense freaking hour so it's important for them to figure out ahead of time okay I'm gonna be using a whole bunch this is gonna be an energy suck for 12 weeks or something how can I manage the rest of the must-do's in my life during this period so that they don't derail me encourage people to publicly announce plans to change in order to help themselves become accountable as well as aware of any inner resistance if they're not willing to announce it to other people then that's there may be part of them that either doesn't think they can they don't think they have the ability or they're not willing so you know those are two of the three parts of motivation that we need to work at and if they're not willing to tell certain people you know that's another thing and we're not going to force them to tell anybody um, what they're getting ready to do but if they think about making a change and they're like yeah I, I'm not sure that I really want to tell my parent about this because you know whenever I've tried to change something in the past they've told me that I was going to fail or when I have failed they've kind of rubbed my nose in it or whatever and okay that's okay 
you know, that's, that's protective. But we do want to figure out anything that might be holding, holding people back. And continue to have people refine their vision of a RML, rich and meaningful life. One way you can do that is have clients write a letter to themselves from the future. So this is a letter. It's kind of like a postcard you send from Hawaii or something. But this is you in the future after you've made this change. And you're writing to yourself in the present going, oh, my gosh, not only is it as good as you thought, but it's even better. And these are all the reasons why. And that gives the person something to kind of focus on. Um, points to remember. Change is a gradual process. People's behaviors, whatever they have, has helped them survive until they were able to start getting other tools. And I just attended a workshop last weekend on um, uh, crisis, trauma, and suicidality. And one of the things that we talked about a lot was self-injurious behavior. A lot of people who are self-injurious are not necessarily suicidal. The self-injury is one coping skill they have that's helping them survive right now. Because when they do that, they're either controlling their pain, they have complete control of how much they hurt, and or they may be so numb that self-injury actually lets them feel something. So self-injury self can be looked at from a, in what way is this helping the person survive? Not that it's the best option by any means, but what is the function of this behavior? Okay. That behavior was serving a function to help you survive. That's awesome. That means you want to survive. So let's figure out a new way to do it that, that's healthier. And remember, it's gradual. So, you know, somebody who has been self-injuring is not just going to turn around in 24 hours and go, no, nah, don't need to do any of that anymore. I'm good. There's going to be a process. So you may need to back down to, you know, when they feel the urge to self-harm, hold ice cubes in their hands. That hurts. That gives, you, that gives you that sensation to either focus on or to feel something. So there are non-self-injury options. I had one client who would put on her headphones and turn up music really, really loud. And that allowed her to sort of feel and have some control over something. Was it good for her ears? No, but, you know, I wasn't going to split hairs. Encourage people to develop two or three sober, sane social supports. And by that, I mean people who are not in active addiction, people who are relatively emotionally stable. You know, they're not off in this, you know, far end of the spectrum of, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't be on any medications or, or whatever. And they're social supports. I mean, there are people who accept you for who you are, where you are right now. And they are able to provide healthy support with healthy boundaries. Before people criticize themselves, they need to ask themselves if they would be as critical of their best friend or of their kid. Because most people, and think about yourself, most of us are much more critical of ourselves than we are of anyone else. You know, we don't hold people to the same standard. If you're dealing with a client with an addiction, Recognize that they're probably addicted to many things, and when deprived of their addiction of choice, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, they may seek out other behaviors to help them escape, to help them numb. They need to recognize that they may also have other coexisting mental health or physical disorders that require attention. 
So behavior change isn't necessarily just about changing thoughts or changing behaviors. There can be other things that need to be addressed. Um, anticipate possible family health system and other problems and identify high-risk situations and develop appropriate strategies to overcome these. So, for example, if you're trying to quit smoking, going to somewhere where people are smoking, I guess you can't smoke in bars anymore, but um, anyway, going to somewhere where there's a lot of nicotine use can be triggering. So how can you overcome this if it's somewhere you have to go? When people are getting ready to make a change, they've got to remember they only have so much energy. And I talk about having a five-gallon bucket of energy. And they have to balance it between their areas. So I encourage them to think about their current emotional happiness. How can they improve it? And how can they reduce stress? So they're freeing up some energy. Mental, creativity, concentration. How can they improve this? You know, maybe it's getting more sleep. Maybe it's not letting their blood sugar get too low. Whatever it is. And how can they reduce stress? Physical pain, sleep, nutrition. Again, how can they improve this right now so they're not under as much stress? Because when you're under stress, whether it's emotional, cognitive, or physical, you have increased levels of cortisol that are going to impact mood and energy and sleep and everything else. Social relationships, hobbies, your recreational aspect. How can you improve this so it's bringing joy to your life? And environmental. How can you improve the environment that you're living or working in? You know, if you've got a, uh, a cranky colleague that works in the same office, you know, how can you deal with that in order to reduce your stress so you have more energy that you're not, you're not using a bunch of energy in these areas to deal with stress that's all kind of freed up, and you can use that energy to devote towards your behavior change. So motivation is multidimensional, mental, emotional, environmental, physical, social, and spiritual. It's just as important to understand why a person is motivated to do the current behavior, smoking, overeating, using drugs, gambling, whatever, as to understand why he wants to change. And you've got to remember that even when you're looking at depression, you know, why does somebody want to stay in bed all the time and pull the covers over their head? We want to understand why they're doing that and why they want to change that. Part of developing motivation is addressing obstacles and creating a clear destination that is meaningful for that person. So a mutually agreeable goal. Alrighty, everybody. Thanks for all the interaction and feedback in the chat room. Are there any questions? You're always so enthusiastic, Heather. I appreciate that. Alrighty, everybody, so I will see you on Thursday. Have a great day. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.